What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Contractor Secrets Podcast. In today's episode, I sit down with Seth Peak, a painting business owner out of California who has amassed over a million in sales in right around a year. Uh, listen, I think that there's one thing we can all agree on. There's no secret to success. The result of hard work, systems, processes, and standards will deliver you the inevitable big number to brag about once you achieve uh, putting those things into place. And really, that's what Seth and I's conversation was, was really just highlighting the the systems in place, the values, the standards, and you know, it's all that stuff will guarantee you the success. So um, tune into this one. A great conversation with a great guy. I really think that if you listen to this one all the way through, you're going to come away with some gems that you can immediately implement in your business today. So try to get this one in all the way through. And if you hear something that stands out to you and says, you know, and, and you have this thought, like, you know what, I should do that. My advice, my suggestion is do it. The big question you need to ask yourself every day is, do I own a job or do I own a business? And unfortunately, the majority of contractors out there own a job. That's right. They're a slave to their own business. But the other side of the fence is so much greener. It's so much better. And that's when you're finally fully in control of your destiny, your freedom, your time. And that's what Contractor Secrets is about. It's about taking back our time, building a business with systems, standards, values, procedures, putting yourself in the driver's seat, and that's what it's about. So I'm excited. I'm happy to have you here. Let's dive into the Contractor Secrets Podcast. So um, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Contractor Secrets Podcast. I'm here with Seth Peak of S. Peak Painting. Um, we have a mutual friend that said, hey, you have got to connect with each other. And after a brief conversation before this podcast, I could totally see why. Seth and I do a lot of things similarly. Um, I invited him onto the podcast really just because of you know the fact that he's a younger guy doing big things in our industry, um, utilizing technology. And he's also a coach of a very popular painting business coaching uh, program called DYB. Um, so we'll touch on to that a little bit later, but I want to talk about Seth, what, um, you know, in your business, you know, can you just give us, cause I, you know, one thing I do want to make sure that we're doing is not only just having an interview, which I will do, but I want to make sure that I'm showcasing as much as possible, what systems you have in your business, what's working. So I really want to dive into that. So let's start off with what your day looks like, and then we'll kind of get into how you got started and all that stuff. But what is your, what is your role in your company and how do you manage your day with your painting company? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, my day starts out at the office. Um, we have 11 full-time painters, four crews, and my day starts out at the office. I'm usually here till about 8.30 or 9, and then if I have estimates, they start about 9 o'clock. Uh, my role is um, owner, president, and uh, head the sales. The only sales at this point uh, go through me besides, besides change orders. But so I'm doing sales and I'm touching base with my team leaders throughout the day. Um, sometimes at the end of the day, sometimes during the day. And um, I'm communicating with customers, um, you know, following up with estimates, basically anything sales. I also do the networking. So I'm going to Rotary, uh, B&I meetings online, um, you know, just smoothing. Uh, so basically networking, marketing and sales at this point, um, I'm out of yeah. the bucket uh, completely at this okay. point. 
So did now there was a point in time where you actually were a painter and tell us about kind of what that transition is like. Cause I think when a lot of people see a younger guy thriving in this business, they usually are like me where they come from a management background or sales and see the painting business as a business opportunity and um, kind of maybe like me jump into the brush to learn, but you kind of came from within the painting um, inside the bucket and then, and then you're, you're doing your own thing. So what was like the hurdle of making that transition? Um, what was probably like the, the hardest thing that you had to make an adjustment uh, to get to the point where you're doing all these things to grow your business at this point? So the biggest challenge for me is the Superman complex. When I was trying to get out of the bucket, um, I think when I was, I had four employees, I was doing 50, 50 in and out of the bucket. Um, and the Superman complex, if not familiar is feeling like I can solve all the problems in the world, uh, relating to our business and the day to day, you know, that face needs to be painted right now. I need to get there. I need to jump in my whites and go, go save the day. So the biggest hurdle for me was uh, realizing that I'm not the linchpin for the projects to actually get finished. Okay. Um, you know, I set my guys up to succeed and uh, support them in that way. So my biggest hurdle was having to learn how to uh, time block when I was, when I was half and half in and out of the bucket, I had to be clear parameters, like from noon to four, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I am not painting. I'm changing my clothes. I'm, thing. Yeah. So I had to set my clear parameters of when I was going to do it and when I wasn't going to do it. When that transitioned out. So as I hired more, eventually it was easier for me to say like, okay, I only paint Monday afternoons to train somebody how to do something or Friday mornings or whatever it is. I had clear defined times when I was going to do it and they were non-negotiable. I wouldn't, um, I had to learn to say, <clears throat> you know, project's going to go a little bit longer to the customer because, you know, X, Y, and Z and not feel like I need to rush to get there and, you know, put panic mode on my guys to get a job done. And it doesn't serve anybody well doing it that way. So time blocking was key. So you set these parameters, essentially these rules that you had where you would even compromise getting a job done that you know you could finish if you were there to keep the system's integrity. Yes, because if I show up in a panic mode to get a job done, it teaches my guys that they can call me. They can me. rely on you. I like <laughs> that. Yeah, they like Seth yeah. will come and fix this. <laughs> so in turn, when they go over on their hours on a job because of X, Y, and Z, I use that as a coaching time for them to figure out how we can do it differently. Did I estimate something wrong? Did they not do a process uh, in the right order to where they were set up to succeed at the end of the day with what they were supposed to do. So right. it's a coaching, it's a, you know, being over on hours is a coaching opportunity for myself and my guys. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and one of the things that I'll say is that there was that, I would call it like an incubator phase stage in your business where you were part-time painter and then part-time salesperson, networker, business owner, administrator, and eventually what you did was essentially you started just slowly delegating responsibility. Do you find that you are at a place in your business now where it might be, you know, hard for you to transition to the next level? And now this is for the guys that are listening in terms of like, they obviously know that being in the brush is not what you want to do as a business owner. They've, they've transitioned out of that. At what stage do you feel like 
that sales role that you that occupies a majority of your time, do you foresee that being something that you're going to hold on to for a while? Or is this something that you're thinking that you may want to free yourself from as well to maybe focus on maybe growing the teams or networking or another area? Because that's always a hard one to let go. It, it really is. You know, I, I love the sales um, side of things. It's my, it's my, one of my favorite things to do is meet with customers. So I don't foresee myself not being in sales, but there's going to come a time when, uh, for instance, in 2020, uh, leading into 2021, I sold uh, a million in signed contracts. And a lot of those jobs we're going to be doing in 2021. And nice. so there comes a time where I can foresee myself selling 1.2 to 1.5 this year. Um, but I'm gonna, I can't do it past that. I and I don't, yeah. I don't know if I necessarily want to be running, uh, 10, uh, it's a day, 10, 10 estimates a day. I think four is kind of my cap yeah. in order to provide good service. So as we grow, if we're going to grow past 1.5 in the next year or two, uh, I'm going to have to, um, explore, explore, um, another sales role, which might be one of my lead painters, um, you know, taking on part-time sales, managing a few estimates right. a week or, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see sure. how it unfolds. Yeah. Sure. But, um, the next, the next level for me, um, you know, being that I've kind of frameworked my job now to be sales, marketing and networking, um, you know, it's, it's really pushing me to train my guys more on, uh, the actual running of the, the, the management of the jobs themselves. Yeah. And so, um, giving yeah. them that authority on site yes. to make, yeah. to make decisions. I think that's, a, we've, I think already, that's we've already, we've um, already one quick thing to add to that. We've already kind of started to train uh, the team leads on how to sell. So the additional work orders that they do um, they're basically selling change orders to the customer. And so they're learning how to price and how to add, you know, gallons and how to estimate that way for smaller ticket items, you know, like adding a front door or adding baseboard or, whatever it is. So they're, they've taken over the role of change order um, estimating. So that's a good first step. So, so that's a good topic of conversation. What's the reward for them in that regard? So currently we don't have a framework in place for the reward. Um, something we're working on. We've literally been training the guys uh, to do this for about a month. So it's, okay. it's, it's nascency. And uh, they know that we're working on figuring out a system. I've heard people say 5% gross on the change order, 10% gross on the change order um, as like a commission. Uh, but we're working that out and trying yeah. to see what the best uh, incentive would be. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's also, um, you know, it just creates that, you know, that atmosphere of contribution. Um, I think we've all had guys, and I'll be honest, I, I don't have a commission structure, Um you know, cause there's a little bit of a balance that I'm, I'm trying, I may want to be avoiding is that like, I don't want that to be such a high, uh, commission that number one, it outweighs their, their wage, because if they're, you know, if they're pushing to sell things, uh, to a customer that has already purchased from us, you know, um, it could create sort of like that, that, you know, that atmosphere of, you know, you know what I mean? Like that sales atmosphere, which I, I don't, prefer i mean and also i feel like if we missed it that kind of falls on us you know unless it's something that comes up that we mention to the customer and after them seeing the work and saying you know what i think i should do that 
you know, and then there could be this little bit of spirit of competition of wait, I mentioned that to her and I mentioned that to her. So I, I think about all these things and I'm like, you know what? I'm personally willing to let go of this potential business that I missed. I'll take the loss on that because I'm kind of afraid that it would create this, this little bit of a comp competition within the work environment that I, I personally feel like I like to avoid altogether. What do you think about that? Well, the uh, team leads are ultimately the ones that uh, engage the customer in any sort of change order. Uh, so any of their crew leaders or crews, we, and we operate two to three guys. So there's usually one guy beneath them or two. And so we, we squash that competition idea between the, the team itself by being clear and saying the team leader is the, the go-to of communicator between the customer and, uh, and me. Okay. And so anything that, you know, they're in a position, they're in a position that was awarded them based on their merits. So any sort of spoils they get from their position um, is not a secret. It wouldn't be a secret to somebody else. Yeah. And it just, it shows that once you become a team leader, these, the extra. You have that. Yeah. 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 I like that. I like that. So even yeah. more parameters of like, Hey, if you're in that team leader position, you have the privilege of, being the one to facilitate any change orders and, and essentially you're grooming them to potentially be um, future estimators to even create structure. Cause I'm a big fan of chain of command. I'm a big fan of um, you know uh, that because essentially what's going to happen is, is that if, and we, I think we briefly hit on this in our conversation before, before we jumped on here, but essentially it's like, if you have these all-stars within your organization, all-stars are all-stars because they have, something that drives them within to succeed. Now, yes, there's intangible things that you can provide in terms of, you know, a great atmosphere and, and all that stuff, but there's a certain level of financial um, increase that motivated people want. Now they can either find it somewhere else or they can find it within your organization. And if you're lackadaisical or kind of have your foot off the gas in terms of creating that opportunity, then you're at the mercy of potentially allowing some of these people to move on, not because they don't like you, not because you're not a great place to work, but essentially if they want to level up in their life in the same way that they show you, they want to level up in their business, then they, you leave them with really no choice, but to find somewhere that helps align them with their personal goals, a, a, a nicer house, the goals that you and I have as business owners, a nice place to live, a, maybe a nicer car and all these things that humans naturally want. So building those systems within is so valuable, man. It really is. Um, you got to stay consistent with what you put into place. If you're yeah. lackadaisical, like you said, with chain of command. And uh, for instance, I, if a team member texts me, for instance, the, last night, I mean, it happens. They text me at 4.30 saying, I need new cartridges for my respirator. I just, I don't respond for more than 10 minutes. Let them kind of maybe go go to Work where they need that. to go. Yeah. And then, and then I didn't hear anything back. So I said, um, um, I'm not sure. Maybe, uh, you should ask so-and-so manager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and just reinforce it. Like, um, I'm not sure because I don't know, right. you know, where, where they are, if you have them in the trailer. So there's really no reason to contact me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I worked for, and you know, when I worked for a restaurant, um, I, as the, I was that team member, I was the one that kept asking the owner and circumventing 
the the leadership within the organization because the owner enabled me to do that by responding, by giving me the answers I need. Because if I want to do my job well, and I need something to do my job well, because I'm trying to do my job well, it's not that that person is a, a bad person or he just wants to do his job well and knows that if he needs something, I've been trained in my restaurant that the manager doesn't have the answers. I have to go to the owner. And what that's doing by default is just putting more responsibility on the owner's plate because he didn't do a good job of setting those barriers. Is that kind of where you're going and exactly, well, I know it is, but just to paraphrase, is that essentially what you're saying? Yes. And it's the same principle as when they relied on me to come finish cleaning up a job and touching up. And when I would jump in there, it's the same when they text me, you know, it's the, it's the nine minute rule. You know, whenever you get somebody, they text you something that you think they should already know. You just don't respond right away. You train them that you're not, you're not jumping on there to give them the answer right away and let them figure it out. And, uh, you know, respond back. Did you figure it out? Don't say the answer unless it's something like the house is burning down or whatever. Right. Um, so it's just a matter of, uh, decreasing the sense of urgency of communication between myself and the bottom. So right. there's a, there's, there's four, team leads. Um, and those team leads can communicate with each other before they communicate with me. If they have yeah. a procedural question or, Hey, where's this piece of equipment? Do you yeah. have it on your site? Is it in the shop? Isn't it's that just, awesome? Yeah. Isn't that they, awesome, dude? they, they know better than me at this point. Yeah. And that's the I way mean, I built it. I haven't seen my vans in a long time and that it would be the same thing, you know, essentially, but the, the, but the freedom dude, that comes with that. And you only get to experience that really. And unless you're like, you have to be at that position to, to let your team figure things out. Like we call these, these are fires, whether the fire is a little bit of a flame or it's a scorching customer, you spill five gallons of paint on uh, a customer's brand new carpet. They're fires. And it's yep. just a matter of like what fire you're going to waste your time trying to put out. And right if you don't train your people to put out their own little fires, um, you know, and, and you're so right. I mean, early on in my business, it was just like, you know, um, these little things that would come up like, Hey, can I go get this? Or can I go get this? And eventually I was like, make the decision. You're so you're essentially training people to make better decisions. But I will say this, your leadership style determines the autonomy that comes along with this. If you're a fear driven business owner, it might give you satisfaction to have that level of control, but ultimately by default, you're just going to continue to put more and more on your plate because you're not giving anyone authority. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. Definitely. So your totally management agree. style is, is, I would say a little bit lenient. Uh, you give people authority, but dive into that a little bit about, you know, the general, the general way you manage people in terms of like, you know, um, Tell me about the details of what the workday looks like for them in, in terms of like checking jobs. Like what processes do you have in place um, to ensure quality, but also give them that little bit of a breathing room that we're discussing now? Well, from the start, the owner has their business card with their picture on it. So from the start of the job, I am not the go-to from the customer to me. It's pretty clear that they hand the card over and say, if you have any questions about the job while I'm here, uh, you can text me or call me on this number. Um, and it has a picture on it so that the customer visually says, Love okay, it. this is the one in charge. I see his face, you know? And so I don't get many calls anymore from customers, uh, during the job, unless it's a, you know, a random thing. 
So the guys are in charge of their job from the start. <clears throat> and then for quality throughout the day, you know, we have, um, you know, before lunch, they do a round of touch-ups um, and pick up any debris on the ground. And after, before the end of the day, they do a round of touch-ups to pick up any debris on the ground. This cuts down a bunch of touch-ups at the end of the job and also keeps the job site clean. So that's just one little thing that we do. Yeah. That was a, a, a crucial uh, time suck at the end of a job with touch-ups. So now we incorporate it twice a day during the, the course of the project. Uh, my guys, you know, we use project management software. We use Monday, uh, which cool. is similar to like Basecamp. Um, yeah. And so each group, each each team leader has their, their list of the next five jobs coming up or more or less or whatever it is. And so they have the customer's contact number, their name, the address, the work orders are uploaded, uh, preloaded there. So they see the upcoming job and they can call the customer the week before and say, Hey, I'm Travis. I'm going to be your um, team lead on your project. Love that. Letting you know, letting you know that we're going to be there next week, probably between Wednesday and Friday at some point, I'll let you know. Dude, next let's week. stop there. Let's stop there. Cause I don't want you to go too far. I want to hit on that picture. I mean, just being the homeowner in that situation. I mean, you know, I mean, invaluable. I mean, you know, we've already hit them with a very nice price. We've probably convinced them that it's worth paying. And then we come around with this phenomenal experience. Like she's on the phone, like, hello. And then, hey, this is Joe from SP Painting. I'm your team lead. I'll be there in two weeks. I just wanted to introduce myself. Yep. And she's looking at her husband, like with her mouth wide open, right? Like. I could, did you, can you believe that she's probably referring you before you even get started? Yeah. Like, I love that, dude. I just think that that's so cool to incorporate the personalities of the people you hired. It's like, it's like, it's, and, and it helps you sell the jobs like so confidently, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. when you just know that like these guys are just going to deliver. Yeah. And you know, customer experience is number one you know, yeah, before, really before is. quality, I mean, we can do a quality job and have terrible customer experience and they'll ha they'll be happy with the paint job, but they're not going to be stoked on the, on the, the guys and the crew. Yeah. So communication is like number one for us leading up to the job and during the job. So, you know, keeping them in the loop every day, have the team lead at the end of the day, if the customer's not home, send them a text or give them a phone call saying, Hey, we finished the ceilings. Uh, you're free to use the kitchen. We'll be Love back it. tomorrow to work on the walls just stuff like that throughout the project, we get a lot of feedback and, you know, even in our reviews on Google and whatnot, that um, communication and, and just working with us is very seamless. Dude, we have such an advantage, unfortunately, because the bar is so low True. that like anything that you do in excess of what you were paid to do, anything makes you look like a hero in this business. Would you agree? Yes, definitely. Definitely. I mean, the bar is just, really low. The bar is so low. And, and, and I love, I, I kind of like it. I mean, it's fine because I don't just do the bare minimum above the bar. I like to blow the bar away to where, you know, it's, it's just not even, you know, it's not even a conversation and it's quite sad because, you know, it shouldn't be that way, but the situation is what it is. There's one, one thing that we love to do on interiors that just make people like really enjoy working with us is that we will paint their master bedroom top to bottom first. Yes. Is that a little inconvenient? Normally before I really thought about this, I used to do ceilings and, and trim first, like it's a new construction job, but how uncomfortable is that for somebody that next day? Very. So our team, our standard is if we're doing a full interior, you have got to get the master bedroom and the master bathroom done top to bottom ceilings, walls, trim doors on the first day. 
And the feedback that we get from that is so worth whatever the additional couple hours are, you know, that throws us, throws us off course. So I, mm-hmm. I feel you on that for sure. Yep. That's a good strategy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things, man, that even me as a homeowner would appreciate, you know, now I have a place to like sleep in that first day and it takes off that pressure of like the halfway done job. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're seeing something complete and I don't care who you are. Like whenever you, you know, if you're getting someone to build you a website or if you're doing something like you want that end result, like the payment has been made. So anytime you give a big chunk of money without getting something immediately in return, the way that our minds work right now, in terms of like instant gratification, there's this like period of like holding the breath. And I think that, you know, and I I pay attention to this stuff. I'm real deep into just like understanding the dynamics of customer interaction all this stuff i love it because i really just want to exceed 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 expectations and that is one thing that does it um so let's pivot again here because i know that you're a business coach with dyb one thing that i've heard really really good things about with that program is the masterminds i know that you lead a mastermind tell me a little bit about what could be expected of somebody that joins a mastermind because essentially what the goal of a mastermind would be is obviously like-minded individuals, but you will occur, you know, on occurrence run into people at different stages of their business. So I would say the vast majority of people that listen to me still carry that brush. So -hmm. let's talk about what the mastermind is about and kind of just some pieces of pieces of advice that you would give to somebody really just trying to get out of that first stage, man. Yeah, so the masterminds of DYB are, you know, between five and 10 uh, painting contractors. It's a painting contractor uh, centric um, coaching program. So everybody's in the same trade. And it is, um, it's an opportunity for us to jump on a Zoom call and all just dive deep into what each person needs to focus on that week, what they're looking at changing in their business, how they're looking at implement a policy or procedure, an issue they're having with maybe their staff or a customer. So it's a, it's a zoom call that is every other week. And then we have a group me chat throughout the rest of the time where you can bounce ideas off each other. It's, it's a hive mind of other painting contractors to help each other get to where they're going. And now masterminds are usually masterminds are uh, organized to where everybody in your group is in a similar situation in terms of um, close, close enough in terms of revenue, getting out of the bucket. There's not, you don't have masterminds where you have a $5 million paint company with like a $200,000 paint company in the same mastermind. So masterminds are organized to where you're in the same group as um, like-minded individual uh, painting company owners that are trying to uh, achieve similar uh, goals at the same time. So Good. they're very, they're organized that way. And, uh, you know, I joined uh, mastermind with DYB, uh, before I was affiliated leading mastermind, um, closing in on two years ago. And it was detrimental. I had one employee when I joined, uh, the masterminds then, and wow. it was just, man, every week I would just absorb, oh. I would absorb what everybody was, uh, relaying to me about their business and just implementing, uh, the system and implementing, you know, automation so and programs. Man. Yeah. It, it's yeah. just, it's, it's your group. It's your, it's your, um, you know, it's like Account- your, your I team. I think the greatest thing with mastermind accountability. Is accountability. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're meeting once a week, right, you don't want to come back that week if asked a question of, 
what changed from seven days ago? How many times are you going to bring the same problem about your hiring or the same problem about how you can't get people to say yes to eventually you're going to be pushed with an external force to change something. And right. it's hard to do that on your own. It is because you have no one like if, if you're not making your follow-up calls, no one's going to come at you and say, Hey, make those follow-up calls. If you're not, if you're just hiring people off the street because they're wearing a Sherwin Williams shirt, you know, and you know, they're in line at the convenience store in front of you, then no one's going to know about that, you know, but if you have people that you know that you have to come back to and say, Hey, uh, how'd you get that new guy? And you'll be like, Oh, um, yeah, you know, well, I met him at the convenience store. And then, you know, that you'd be embarrassed to say that. So, um, I, I love the accountability aspect of that stuff, you know? Yeah. And you know, the biggest, um, when I was a, just a, when I was a member of mastermind, just as a, you know, a DYV member and I was in my mastermind, the biggest thing I learned from the beginning was hiring, you know, and I know that you talk about a lot on your podcast, uh, hiring, and I can't stress it enough. You need to always be hiring, even if you're not yeah. at, need to fill a role because you need to yeah. create your roster of, of, you know, all-stars that are going to be great employees. And maybe at the time you don't need the spot, but you find the one and then you keep communicating with them until you have a spot, you know, and another with, in terms of hiring, I was always worried that, well, if I hire, then I'm going to chew through my work and I'm not, I, I'm not going to have any work. And yeah. uh, others in my group and encourage me, it's like, you hire. So you have the fire under you to get more work. That's you know? right. That's right. Yeah. And I know, I know Steve at DYB, I learned the Google form from him that he does with hiring. That mm -hmm. is so crucial, but it could be anything you could, you can have someone fill out your own form if you want. Um, but essentially like the way that I, I really, you know, I know that they're big about that. And that really helped me with my foundation of my business because your, your business, and I say this a lot, this is like one of my greatest things. We are expected to paint. If you call a painting company, you, you're expecting to get a good job done. But the differences between everything else is the labor. It's the experience. It's the people that are doing the painting. So why not invest as much time as you can of building that foundation, you know? Mm -hmm. And that to me, like if you get that hiring process down, you will be successful. And I think, was that the major difference maker for you? I mean, you said you went in with one employee, was hiring and focusing on hiring one of your greatest, I would say, you know, the, the catapult to your success. You told me you just sold a million and you went from one employee to a million within two years, probably even a little bit shorter. Was that a huge part? Yeah. I mean, that is, that is the huge part. Um, for me, the selling aspect and the communication customer and, you know, winning people over and making the sale is easy. Uh, that's not a problem I have. My personality, you know, if you're familiar with like personality tests and whatnot, I'm a very outgoing person. I'm a high eye on the disc profile. I'm like, I'm outgoing, but I don't discipline well. And I don't, uh, details are not my strong I think suit. Me so and having you have that, I think we're the same. I don't, discipline. I have to, I have to have systems in place to do anything that's hard for me. If I don't have a system in place, it's not getting done. So hiring was like, I'm going to be running an ad on every platform all the time. And so, um, you know, I have a Craigslist ad. I can fire up Indeed when I, when I need to. Uh, Facebook Marketplace hiring ad. 
and you just basically you're always running ads and you're always looking for people. Doesn't that and- give you confidence when I know that you've had to fire somebody? You're not. Oh yeah. Like, Okay. So doesn't that give you, what'd you say yesterday? Yesterday. (laughs) Doesn't that give you confidence though? Because I think that there's some people that actually let people overstay their welcome in their business. And because they don't have that hiring system in place, they're apprehensive to let that people go and let them keep sucking energy out of their business because they're not confident that they'll find somebody to replace them. Would Mm -hmm. you agree? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's, um, having that, that roster of, of good leads. I think I have four guys on my roster that I could call and potentially one of them is going to say, yeah, I want a job. And, uh, just having that backup for when you need to, like I had to let the guy go yesterday and it just wasn't working out. Um, it was this third uh, 90 day probation and it just wasn't working out. So I had to let him go and you have to take the mindset of your building. Did everyone catch that? You went too fast. 90 day probation systems. Yeah. 90 day probation based on their work performance and attendance and whatever else, you know, and, uh, and so that's definitely the 90 day probation is, is, um, some might say that's even too long, but, uh, if they're not cutting it within two weeks, they're, they're cut faster, but he was kind of stringing along, kind of making it work. And, so but you're saying just, that, but, but, you know, but think about it this way, when somebody's applying for a job, they're going to give you their best self. And mm-hmm. at some point, if it's true, what they're giving you, that'll never fade. If what they're giving you is a fabrication of their values, a fabrication of their standards, 90 days is enough time to see who yeah. you're really getting. You know, um, I do 30 days because mm-hmm. I like to count myself as a good judge of character, which mm-hmm. I would assume is probably not the best way to do it. I think that after this, I told you, I, I learned things and I adjust 90 days is a good adjustment to make for me because, you know, there's people that have been with me for longer than 30 days that I let go. So maybe if I had a 90 day, you know, I would have probably caught that before it happened. Um, and I think it, it, it involves an increased level of motivation. Now, let me ask you this. Do you give in like, do you give full pay for that 90 days or do you string along the pay scale for them to hit that mark before you give them the full pay? So we hire them on, um, we don't hire them like in Starbucks or in the office after we give them the interview, they go through, they take a drug test and they go through a background check nice. and then they get all the references checked. So at that point nice. um, we're feeling pretty confident we can bring them on. Now, you know, in the job offer letter, it says they can be let go for whatever reason during the first 90 days. So we reserve the right to let them go after two weeks, but we start them salaried. Um, I'm in California, so our labor laws are you have to pay them their wage from the moment they start doing anything for you. Gotcha. Um, so I can't, um, I guess I could, um, we could alter well, I'm, I'm limited to our, I'm, I'm limited to our labor laws. So we just follow everything to the T. Yeah. No, and um, I can, I can agree yeah. with that. I don't, I don't, we, I, we definitely don't have the same labor laws. One thing that I do is I promise a certain pay and mm-hmm. um, I say that you will get a raise after X amount of time if mm-hmm. you hit that mark and, you know, people will come in and expect top dollar, you know, off the bat of whatever they were getting from their previous job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not about that until they, well, that's, I only do 30 days. So I could see why three months, then you're going to give me what I want. But when I say 30 days, you know, it kind of lessens the, uh, the blow there, but it's worked for me. You know, yeah. again, it comes down to systems. I like that you do drug tests. 
Um, do you affiliate with like LabCorp? Like how do you get those done? So we're, uh, we're a member of a PEO, a professional employer, employers organization. So they actually handle uh, safety, uh, workers comp. Do you get payroll, a discount on your workers and, comp for that? Yes. Nice. So we basically, cause they also run safety meetings once a month. It's part of our service. Okay. So since we have a safety protocol an IIP, uh, whatever the acronym is for safety program, and they come here once a month in the shop during our monthly meeting and train the guys on something like respirators or whatever ladders, then we get a discount on our workers comp. Um, Love it. It's not major, but it's, it's definitely all rolled into one. They also handle our payroll taxes and IRS. So yeah. they do everything and it's all, we pay uh, weekly for, for this service. Nice. And they're all over the country. They're called BBSI. So if anybody's BBSI. out there and they want to look into it, it's called BBSI. Yeah, Google that if you're interested in that. Yep. Question about California. Hazardous materials. Yeah. What are, you guys, what are you guys doing with the paint, dude? Dude, I don't know, man. They're, <laughs> we're, not even, we're not even allowed to buy denatured alcohol anymore. So we had to, if you're cleaning shellac or anything like that, you got to use half and half ammonia and water. Are you and, uh, Yeah, you can't get denatured alcohol. You can't get a lot of oil paints that you can get uh, in other states. Uh, some solvents like xylene. So you, you got to dispose of everything at a dump? You have to dispose it as a hazardous waste facility or um, if your local paint store has like a hazardous waste pickup spot. Um, there's also some guys around here, they rent 55 gallon drums and have them picked up twice a year and just throw the guts yeah, in there. Figure it out that way. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was just curious, man. That's uh, that's just an extra hurdle that we don't have to deal with, which I think we should. Um, I, I think a lot of California, what people say are hurdles. They're just second nature to us over here. So it doesn't seem like it's a whole bunch of extra work. It's just what you have to do. It's just what you have to do. It's just, <laughs> yeah, you just adapt. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. Man, Seth, I think we're going to, I think we're gonna cut it man it was a pleasure having you dude i learned a lot um continued success to you and i just want to reiterate seth is a uh dyb coach and he is looking for what how many spots do you have as of the time of this recording we're mid-january how many spots do you have in your mastermind we've got three three okay look yeah. this guy this guy's doing it he's successful i encourage you guys to find seth how do, how do we how do we find you man uh, you can reach me at Seth at dybcoach.com, okay. or you can find me on Instagram S Peak Painting, uh, S P E E K like peekaboo S Peak Painting.com on uh, Instagram, and you can see what we're all about and DM me over there. Yeah, full endorsement this way, man. Um, I definitely know you're gonna fill those spots after people listen to this. Jump in with Seth, at least hit him up, see what it entails. I'm sure you'll do a free kind of like consultation before somebody signs up, right? Sure thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So hit him up, see if we can fill those slots, man. Thanks for joining us uh, today on the, uh, on the podcast, man. I'm excited for this to get to the ears of uh, hungry contractors, man, wanting to take the business to the next level. Yeah. Thanks for asking me, Tanner. Awesome. No problem. All right, man. Hey, I just want to take a second to thank you for joining me here on the Contractor Secrets Podcast. Um, I'm just going to take this opportunity to let you know that my passion is coaching people, helping people. Um, I've changed my Instagram name to at contractor coach. And I did that because that is my passion. I want to help you. So please reach out to me. If you have an issue going on in your business, send me an email, find me on Instagram, message me, and let's do a breakthrough session. I want to work through your problems in your business 
to help you get to that next level. And, and one thing that I always say is this, you know, the difference between those that get over the humps and the hurdles in business is just a change in perspective. And that's what I plan to offer you. So get with me, message me, allow me to help you take your business to the next level.